It's JJ DiGeronimo, and we are in season three of Career Strategies for Women That Work. I select every episode with you in mind, a woman searching and striving for more influence and impact. With research and insight, I've invited some really exciting guests to season three. Many of them have books that you can follow up with and even discuss in your women's groups. And like many of them, I'm launching my next book, Seeking, 74 Key Findings to Raise Your Energy, Sidestep Your Self-Doubts, and Align with Your Life's Work. With so much to discuss, let's jump in. Hello, hello, JJ here, and I have another fabulous guest. I'm with Ramona Shaw today. I love Ramona's work about thinking and how our thinking can change our actions and our impact. But what I mostly love about what she does is she really focuses in on new managers, which is such an interesting role for women because oftentimes we're really good at individually contributing to teams and projects but we get to that first level of managers, which I think is often one of the hardest roles because so much of things fall down to you. And I often tell women, stick with it because once you get that next manager role and that next manager role, you actually start to shift from being a contributor and doing the work to be more strategic about the work. So Ramona, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tay-Tay. I think it's exciting because how you think is so important, not only in how you lead, but how you run your life. So how did you really stumble on this work about thinking and leadership and new management? And where has it taken you? Yeah, so it's, which is, what was interesting is when I did, I did a lot of work with new managers and leaders across the organization or across the ranks, in fact, and what um, on a one-on-one basis. And what occurred to me is that a lot of the problems and challenges that they brought to me had to do or started because of some emotional reaction. Something that was either a frustration, it was anger, it was disappointment, it was resentment, uh, it was self-doubt. And it was hardly ever a skill issue. It was hardly ever that they couldn't have said it better. It was not that they didn't know how to solve a problem. There are all the leadership books and uh, the YouTube videos and who knows what. There's a lot of it about what you should be doing. And most of the people that I worked with actually intellectually knew what they were supposed to do or they knew that there would have been a different way. But they realized that in the moment, they didn't react the way that the book would lay out to do or what the manual or the instruction would have been. And that then led to the challenges down the road. And so through the conversation, it always boiled back or we always had to bring it back to what are the feelings and where did these feelings come from? Our feelings are always in direct proportion to our thoughts. So even if I feel really disappointed and I realize, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm making too big of a deal out of this, or I don't know why I'm so sad about this. I can tell you exactly why you're so sad about it. It's because the thought that you're thinking when you feel sad is a pretty traumatic thought. And so when we sort of go back and we roll it up to what are the thoughts that you have about a person, about a situation, when you felt backstabbed or you felt overlooked or you felt not hurt or you felt someone was disrespectful, those are pretty intense thoughts. And then we start to react based on that. Or when you felt you didn't belong to the leadership table. And so, yes, we can absolutely work on the skills and how we present ourselves, but at the same time, 
we have to work on our inner game, right? The thoughts that we have, the mindsets, the attitude, and really understand and build the awareness of why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? Why am I doing what I'm doing? That is so interesting and often not talked about, right? We're supposed to be have like our A game, get at the table, deliver a message, go back to our desk, keep working. And I think many of us overlook that emotional component of how we're feeling and how that impacts our actions. So when you talk about thoughts and leadership, I mean, how do you get leaders to really think about their thoughts in a new way? Yeah, because a lot of people are like, I want to just know what to do differently. And I get that. But then uh, there's also the understanding, and I, I see more and more people sort of being in tune with that, that when our emotions run high, intelligence runs low right? We know that because our neocortex sort of zones out and our emotions take over the show. And a day later, we think, well, maybe I should have said that differently. Maybe (laughs) I should not have written that email, right? We, We have those insights a day after because emotions have sort of calmed down and intelligence has gone back up. And just recognizing that that's what we're dealing with opens up people to realize Okay, I get it. If I actually want to create sustainable behavioral change, and specifically as a new manager who is exposed to a lot of new challenges, and they usually know that all eyes are on them, right? Their direct reports know that this is their first manager role. They're evaluating how well are they doing? Can I really trust them? Do I respect them as a leader? They're uh, maybe even former peers. There's their new peers who are going to evaluate, do you belong? <laughs> are, you, are you cut out to be a leader? And then their superiors are obviously, they bet on them to some extent that they want to make sure that you're successful, the new manager is successful. Their eyes are there as well. So during this high pressure, intense time, when they have to change their approach pretty dramatically, this is a transformation. It's not just a slight shift. Moving from an individual contributor into a leadership role is a big transformation. And yes, we got to work on skills and tactics and how do you run one-on-ones? How do you give feedback? But at the same time, more importantly, we have to understand that our mindset has to shift in that transition during that phase. And it's things such as I used to be in control of the quality of my output, right? I used to be the one who signed off on everything because I was the one doing everything that I would deliver. Now, all of a sudden, my team is delivering things that I may not see before they go out to clients, but I'm the one who has to be responsible or accountable for it. I might disagree with what they're doing, but I also don't want to be a micromanager. And now I have to let go of this idea that the quality of my team is a direct representation of my worth as an employee or my worth as a human for that fact. And this is not a skill issue. It has nothing to do with skills. It's all about how we're thinking about our role as leaders and what we have to learn or as we're learning to take a different approach to how we create value in an organization and what it makes someone successful as a leader. Mm-hmm. This is a big mindset shift. And so we work through specific examples. We could talk about the idea of thinking uh, you're the smartest person in the room will naturally make you more uh, perceived as too directive or too abrasive. Very typical scenario. Micromanaging comes from this idea of I need to control. That idea of the poor quality will reflect poorly on me. 
I don't trust them. I need to know. I need to be in the known. And even time management, uh, oftentimes time management issues will roll back up into wanting to be involved, wanting to have or feeling like leaders need to have all the answers, which is not true. Such a misconception. And when we look at the problem, the challenge that leaders have, challenges that leaders have, and we don't try to solve it on a superficial level, put a Band-Aid on it and hope it will, you know, it will solve it. But we look at the, the root cause of it. We can change and make dramatic changes in their ability to lead and do so in a sustainable way. But it always falls back down to changing the thinking. That's amazing. And I feel like with leaders I've worked with all over tech and in Silicon Valley and even customers, I mean, there are people at various roles that are struggling with the same thing. I mean, this emotion that is so much driven by our ego and oftentimes it's based on fear and self-doubt and not being included and not being good enough, it gets the best of us in some very heated moments. As you mentioned, you know, emotions go up and luck goes down almost and intelligence goes down. So someone listening might be thinking, you know, that happens to me. That happens to me. I have found that, you know, a lot of this emotion is really anchored on stories that might have started 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So how do you work with leaders to help them unshackle where those thoughts, ideas, and emotions are coming from that are driving how they lead? Yeah. And this is important because it's not an easy fix, right? So like I said earlier, we were always work with my clients, I always work in parallel. There's the tactical things, the actions that can take, and sometimes even them taking new actions and having sort of knowing that I'm as the coach on the sideline, I'm cheering for them to do that somewhat uncomfortable thing will help them develop greater confidence or learn the new patterns. But at the same time, we have to, like you said, let go of some of these patterns and beliefs. I personally grew up thinking that hard work is directly correlating with success. So the amount of work that I put in will determine my level of success. And, you know, I developed a pretty strong and work ethic as a result of that, which served me well for a while. And then I had kids and then I realized like, oh my gosh, this is not working. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always exhausted. And I started to see other people who were working less, but were more successful. And it was baffling to see in the beginning, but then I started to recognize I had limitations in my own beliefs. And what I do very specifically with clients is to open up the curtains and really look at, not over the course of years, but over the course of hours to look at what are the things that you're believing that you think are true that are not true. There's stories that you're making up, there are assumptions that you have about who you need to be as a leader that then result into these in these issues that you either experience or that I can project will happen down the road for new managers. And from understanding, here is what we're thinking and how we're feeling about it. And then here is what we're creating as a result because of that, because of the behaviors that we demonstrate. And then looking at that result and saying, is that what we want? Because if that's what we want, we should just continue doing whatever we're doing. But if that's not what we want, if we, for example, don't want to be micromanagers, okay, then how do you need to feel and think about your team members and about your role as a leader that it will allow you to do things that will let your team members run with stuff so that you're not micromanaging? 
And they appreciate the level of autonomy and the level of support that you get when needed, that they get when needed. So let's dive into that because something I see as a very common theme for women managers is perfectionism, aka micromanaging. I believe it's because we want to make sure that everyone sees us in the role that we're in. And we're in fear that if we don't do everything perfectly, people will not see us in that way. So say like hypothetically that I'm a, that I'm a perfectionism or a micromanager and you're working with me, how do I even start to embrace that? Because I'm in so much fear of not being good enough that I don't know how to untangle that. Yeah. So we would look at, let's talk about specifically what you're dealing with as a result of having this high standard. And oftentimes someone who's a perfectionist actually got a lot of credit, a lot of recognition for the quality that they delivered. And as an IC, even though they probably worked really hard for it, as an IC, that was a success as an individual contributor. That was a success strategy. So now we got to figure out in this new role as a leader, you holding on to that high standard. Let's play it out. What will that do to your team members if you hold that standard? And they will tell me like, okay, let's, let's paint the picture. Let's add the colors to this. Okay, when I do this, I can see how my team members may feel like everything has to go my way or no way. They may feel like I'm overstepping the boundaries and I'm taking too much control or being too directive. They may think my standards are too high. And I really challenge them to think about what are the downsides and what are the risks of this approach? And in which ways do you already see this come to fruition? In which way do you see this come to life in your role? Some of it is sort of forward-looking and some of it is actually seeing it and opening our eyes to it. Uh, that could happen through 360-degree assessments where other people give feedback. It could come in looking at past performance reviews where we see these things come up. Or it could just be part of self-reflection or observing other people's responses. And then we look at what would be a new mental concept to take on that would allow you to avoid these issues? If someone is a perfectionist and they say, what well, I need to in order to be seen as a leader and to be seen as credible, we look at all kinds of evidence that that's actually not true. Like, what are the leaders that get recognized in the organizations? In which ways are you adding value? What is really your role? What will allow you to create a team that follows you and wants to be with you and, and stay with you? They don't want to jump ship six months after they joined the, the team or the company. And then they start to see like, yeah, they want to feel motivated. They want to feel empowered. They want to have autonomy. They want to learn and grow. They start to see things such as, you know, sometimes my boss says 80% is good enough. You don't need to bring it to 100% all the time. Like, okay, evidence, evidence, evidence. We stack up the evidence and then we consciously talk back to our minds. So this is the, the specific tactic now. Every day that this person would say, this leader would say, gosh, it's got to be perfect. I can't let that go. I, I can't pass that on or I can't let that go um, out, get out to a client. It's not perfect yet. Like, is that true? Could I be okay with 80% of it? What would happen if it goes out and it's only 80% done, in my opinion, but 100% done in my boss's opinion and in my employee's opinion? I'm going to choose to be okay with that for the sake of the long-term goals that I'm going for. And so we talk back. We have the fears come up and we got to talk back. 
um, there's this surgeon, it's a brilliant surgeon, his name is um, Chase, James Gills. And he said, it probably is not the only one who said that, but I heard it from him and it really stuck with me. He said the reason why he was so successful in his profession, but he's also a multiple Ironman runner and so forth. He said, I learned to talk back to my mind more than I listened to it. And anytime it comes to doing the inner work and changing beliefs, it, that, is, that is the way to go. I have not yet found a different way. Yeah. And I think for many people, it requires them to be present, you know, to really hear the voices. You know, it took me until I really, really took on a mindfulness practice that I actually even heard the voices. And then reading Brené Brown and many others, it became much more evident to me that I was my worst critic and I was working from a fear mantra rather than an enablement and love mantra. And I think this conversation is so important for any leader and if you're starting off in leadership, really thinking, are you going to empower the people you work for? Are you going to take away the power? And I feel like for many of us, like when we become, our, for the first time you become a leader, there's so much fear in not doing it right, but your lessons are really understanding what is right. What are you wanting to do for your team, your organization, and your customers, however that lays out for you? And I think talking yourself backwards is so important is why does this matter and do I need to show up this way? Yeah, so at one point, a lot of people just realize it gets too painful, right? And especially now what we're seeing, a lot of people with burnout or exhaustion and they recognize that if they keep doing work the way that they have, it's somewhat Stephen, you know, things such as not setting boundaries, not being able to say no. And if they continue to do it that way, whether this this job or any future job, they will run back into the situation where they feel exhausted or overcommitted. That work has to be done, and, and people sometimes push against their limits. Pain gets the pain gets really big, and they realize I gotta make a change. And that willingness is, is really important to cognize and dive into this either you know through self reflection, mindfulness, or through working with a coach or a mentor to get to have that dialogue and realize what is it actually that's holding me back and what am I worried about and how can I change these and adapt these new behaviors that will allow me to create a more sustainable high performance or a work-life integration that works, works well and being an effective leader to my team that I get respected for and I'm being rewarded for the leader that I choose to be and choose to become. I absolutely love that, Ramona. And I really just love your approach. I don't think it's one that people think about often, especially in the professional landscape. But many of us know that why we're blowing up or why we're overreacting or why we can't sleep is because there's energy, emotion tied to a particular situation. Yeah, exactly. It's I often refer to this as there's the pace of work, which is sort of the tasks that we have to do and the actual work. And then there's the weight of work. And that's the emotional load and the heaviness that we feel in regards to either what we're doing or the people that we're working with or the environment and the values in the organization. And it's the weight that creates most challenges for leaders and employees across the, across the board. And it's the thing that drains the energy, right? That we feel and creates self-sleepiness. Yes, yes. That's a beautiful thing. So for any of you that want more information, you can contact Ramona Shaw on LinkedIn, or you can check out our new book, The Confidence and Competent New Manager, because so many of the tools and techniques you discuss can be used at any stage of our career, 
But I think it's really great that you hone in on first level managers, because honestly, if you can sort of fix the problem then or address the energy and the emotions, then you really set just a fantastic trajectory for their careers. 100%. Yeah, really well said. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great. We'll see you all again. Thanks for joining us.